Well, I just want to do a real quick review. It's been a little while, so let me just, uh, let's just back up a little bit. Uh, it, was, it was last month sometime we talked about therefore, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. We explored how, how that therefore is there because it's pointing us back to the experience of Abraham. Abraham had that experience of believing in God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that's what each one of us need. We each need that peace that passes all understanding, which only Jesus can bring us. We, we looked then at Father Abraham, how, how Abraham is considered, it, it talks about it here in Romans chapter 4 and verse 11, he's considered the father of all those who should believe. Now, this is not talking necessarily about, about, spiritual, about uh, physical ancestry, but about spiritual ancestry. And so we saw why. It's because Abraham had such faith and such belief that he actually became fully persuaded that what God had promised he was able also to perform. Sometimes we think that the Bible's promises are for other people. Sometimes we think that the Bible's promises are for our neighbors or our friends. We fail to remember that what God said He will do, He can do and He will do if we allow Him, even in our own life. It doesn't matter where we've been. It doesn't matter what we've done. God's promises are for us. And Abraham became fully persuaded that even though he was advanced in years, and Sarah also, that God, who had said that He would give him a son, was able even to give him a son. And Abraham believed God, and the Bible says it was accounted unto him for righteousness. It was not because of Abraham's obedience or because of what he did, but because of Abraham's belief, faith. Faith is believing that God can do the impossible. Not that he's done the impossible, not that he can do the impossible for somebody else. Faith is believing that God can do the impossible even for me even for you. And so Abraham became not just the father of many nations physically, but he became the father of all those who believe. We're talking about spiritual ancestry here. And today we're going to be talking about how I believe Abraham is the spiritual father of all who believe even in the last days, even in the days in which we're living. Now there's many different aspects to Abraham's life we could explore. Today we're going to be looking at one of them. We're going to be looking at how Abraham believed God enough that he was willing to go out into a land that he didn't know. He was able to, do a, 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 to, to take a trip with an uncertain destination because he was the father of the faithful, and he's the father of us today. I want us to just bow our heads for an additional word of prayer as we begin. Father in heaven, I just ask that as we open your word, that your spirit would teach us, Lord, my lips are, are, are human, they're stammering, my mind is finite, but you are the infinite God. And so today I just pray that you'll speak to those who are gathered here, your children. Lord, they, they are expecting something from you, and I just pray that you would speak to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Abraham, the father of the end-time faithful. Today we're going to be looking at how Abraham was willing to follow God, and he was willing to leave his comfortable home in the Ur of the Chaldees. He was willing to be a stranger and a pilgrim. So this is the quality of Abraham that we're looking at today. Abraham, the father of the faithful in the last days. So let's start by looking in our Bibles at the story in Genesis. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. Genesis chapter 12, so turn with me there, back to the very first 
book of the Bible. The story here is found of Abraham's journey of faith, Genesis chapter 12. And we're going to look at this in God's Word for our own selves, for, with our own eyes. Um, this is what happened, and when you're there, you can say amen. All right, let's start. Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Now, the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you. I will curse him who curses you. I'm sorry, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now these are very, very big words that God gives to Abraham. Now we remember that Abraham is living at a time not too removed from the global flood that we talk about. In fact, <clears throat> if, we, if we go back to some genealogies and some timelines of the Old Testament, we'll find that Abraham was born... Um, while Noah was still alive. Noah, who lived 350 years after the flood, he, um, he, was, he was still alive, as, as I recall, off the top of my head, 350 years. He was still maybe, hmm, may have been less than that, but as I recall, it's about 75 years of, of overlap between Noah and Abraham. That meant that Noah was able probably to tell personally to Abraham some of the things that he had seen before the flood. I mean, after the flood, we don't believe, for example, that there was any Garden of Eden anymore. That was destroyed. It had been, well, the world had been destroyed. The Garden of Eden had been taken to heaven for escape-keeping, I believe. And um, here we have the, uh, the story of the, of the angels and, the, and, the, and the guarding the, the entrance to the Garden of Eden. We had Methuselah who had died just at the time of the flood. I mean, Noah had known these people. Abraham had known these people. And Abraham had had an opportunity to hear these stories. Now, let's, let's be realistic. Abraham probably wasn't the only person who had the opportunity to hear these stories, right? I mean, everyone alive had had the opportunity to hear these stories. This was, these were the survivors of the flood. The, Noah was the father of all those who were alive at that time, so they all would have heard. But remember, it didn't take very long for even those descendants of Noah to begin rebelling against the God of heaven, did it? It wasn't long before um, they even built the Tower of Babel. Remember that story where they got together and they said, we're going to keep God from being able to destroy us again. We're going to build a tower so tall that even if another flood comes, we're going to survive on our own without God, without the help of God. We can do our own thing. We don't have to listen to God. That's rebellion against God, isn't it? And the story <clears throat> is found here in the, in the book of Genesis about how God confused their languages because they were becoming so wicked again. I mean, just after destroying the earth by flood, already they're beginning to rebel and they're forgetting God. And God says, what am I going to do? How am I going to keep the truth of God alive? There are no more angels visible at the gates of the garden anymore. But God's people still have to be remembering the stories and the truths. And God said, I, I know what I'll do. I'll find a person who I can trust. 
that person will become what we would call a patriarch. Now, patriarch may be a misused word today. We have, we have sort of the patriarchy, and that's, that's sort of a negative term today, especially, especially when, um, when it's opposed to some of the, the feminist ideas that are present in our world today. We're not talking about the negative things of patriarchy here. We're talking about someone who will say, I'm going to raise my family to fear God. That was a patriarch. That was what a patriarch was supposed to be. When God said, I'm going to choose a man who is, who is going to follow me and, choose and, and, fo- and have his children follow me as well. And the idea of the patriarchs was this. The idea was that as, as a father would teach his children, particularly the firstborn son, would become the heir, the spiritual heir of the lineage through which the world would kept, be kept abreast of the truth of God, of the true character of God, of the knowledge of God. So the, 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 the firstborn son in the patriarchal system, we, we know Abraham was the first, and then we had Isaac and Jacob and so forth. The firstborn would be the one who would not only receive uh, more of the inheritance, more of the inheritance, physical inheritance, but they would also become the spiritual priest of the family. The, they, they would become the spiritual leaders of the next generation. And God intended by this method to keep the knowledge of the truth alive. He was going to try to keep a light burning in this darkened world where, where people kept forgetting about him and ignoring him and even rebelling against him. And so God says, I'm going to choose Abraham, and I want Abraham to be the one who will carry that message of my love and my grace and my mercy and my salvation to the rest of the world. And what God says to Abraham here is, says, all nations of the earth will be blessed through you, because through you I will continue to keep the knowledge of truth alive. Let me tell you, friends. This world may not be very uh, spiritual or religious. We live in a very secular age. We live in a world where the headlines are filled with sin and vice and corruption and perversion. And perversion is considered normal and even laudable today. Am I telling the truth? And we're living in that kind of a world. But I want you to know that this world is indebted to those who believe the truth. This world is blessed by those who keep the knowledge of God present in our society. Oh, we need more like that. God says, I'm going to make you a great nation, and I'm going to bless all nations, not just your own descendants. I'm going to make all families of the earth blessed through you. These are incredible words that Abraham is hearing. And um, notice what, what God says to Abraham here in verse 2. He says, get out of your country. I'm sorry, this is verse 1. Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Now, we understand. We understand that it's, it's, uh, it's a challenge for us today to, um, to leave those things that are comfortable. We understand that Abraham went out by faith, not knowing where he was going. Let's read our, our, our next text, and keep your finger here in, in, in Genesis chapter 12, and um, let's look over in Hebrews again. We're going to be sort of shuttling between a few of these passages that describe Abraham's experience today. A- Hebrews chapter 11, I'm sorry. Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to read verse 8. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8. Now, this is, this is talking about uh, Abraham from a New Testament perspective. This is, this is the Apostle Paul writing of, in the great hall of faith, in the chapter of faith here in Hebrews chapter 11. In verse 8, it says this, uh, "...by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going." 
This is an amazing passage, an amazing truth. Notice me verse, verse 9. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for a city, for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now what I want us to see in the story of Abraham today, what I hope that we can understand, what I want us to comprehend is that Abraham lived a life as a stranger and a pilgrim. He left that which was comfortable. He said, I'm not going to go into the promised land, even though it's promised to me for inheritance or to my children for an inheritance. I'm not going there to get comfortable. I'm not going there to have an easy life. I'm not going there to see what I can accumulate and what I can accomplish. I am going to keep my eyes on the prize. And the prize, friends, is not here in this earth. Oh, friends, if, we, if we're not tired of this earth now, what will it take? You know, we see these things, and sometimes they don't come close enough to home for us to, for us to really be tired of this earth. But I, I hope that as we see the events of this world, the, the tragedy and the heartache and the suffering and the innocent who die and, and suffer, that we can just realize that no inheritance here is really, is really worth longing for. Abraham even... 4,000 years ago, knew there was something better that God had planned for him. He wasn't looking for an inheritance here, this promised land, land flowing with milk and honey, all of those things. That wasn't what he was really interested in. The Bible says that he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. And he waits for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go into a place which he would receive for an inheritance. I want us to just think a little bit about the place that he was leaving. Now, I don't want to spend too much on this, too much time on this. You remember that it got the children of Israel in trouble when they spent too much time thinking about Egypt. When they thought, when they thought about Egypt, for some reason, the children of Egypt, they remembered the, the good food. They didn't remember the slavery. Isn't that funny how our mind works sometimes? I mean, they're like, oh, we just wish we were back in Egypt. What are you saying, right? I mean, the, the human mind and the devil is able to get us all our tail tied knots sometimes. We, just, we get really, really irrational. But, um, so I don't want to spend too much time thinking about what Abraham left because I suspect that if Abraham had spent too much time thinking about it, he wouldn't have left. In fact, Hebrews makes that point. If he had been mindful of those things, he could have gone back. But Ur of the Chaldees was a city. This wasn't just an ordinary city. This, this was the place where, the, where the, the great rivers of the Orient, the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers, flowed into the sea. And this was a trading city that was very, 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 very rich. This was one of the the greatest cities of the ancient world. And it was, it was even at that early age, soon after the flood, it was one of those places where people had gone and had, had found the, the crescent very fertile there and had, had found the, the, uh, the, 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 the ability to prosper. And in its time, Ur was a, a city of enormous size, scope, and, and opulence, which drew its vast wealth from its position there on the Persian Gulf and the trade that this allowed with people many, many miles away. And um, archaeological ex excavations have substantiated that, that early on, even I believe as early as Abraham's time, Ur possessed great wealth and the citizens enjoyed a level of comfort unknown in other parts of the Mesopotamian cities. 
Now, Ur of the Chaldees was a very comfortable city. It was a place where things were very convenient. I mean, everything you needed was right there. It was, uh, there's there suggestions even of uh, running water and other, other modern conveniences. We don't think of the ancient world as, as having, but Ur was a very, very plush city. It was a comfortable place to live. It was a very educated city. In fact, um, one of the things that we find interesting as, as, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, one of the things that we find interesting is that the, um, the, the Gil- Gilgamesh epic, which is a, a, a literary piece that's found on 12 different tablets that's found there, it was discovered there in the, uh, the city of Ur of the Chaldees, or at least that part right, right around that city. And... Um, on, on tablet number 11 of the Gilgamesh epic is a flood story that is very, very close, almost identical to the one recorded in Genesis. That's very interesting when we look back and we, we recognize the fact that this city was founded not long after the flood, according to our understanding of chronology. And um, by the way, the Gilgamesh epic is only one of about 500 different flood legends, as many people call them, or myths, as some scientists call them, or archaeologists call them, that exist from over 200 cultures around the world, not just one or two. And it's very interesting. Sometime I may do a presentation on that. It's, it's very fascinating to see the similarities between the vast majority of the flood myths or legends from these various cultures and the one that's recorded in the Bible. Now, there's... there's um, there's, uh, there's two ways of looking at it. The skeptic says, well, the Bible's author, Genesis' author, must just have been familiar with these epics and sort of coalesced them. Well, there's some real challenges to that, and we, don't, we won't take a whole lot of time to go into it. But one of the challenges is that would require the, the Genesis author to be much better aware of things like engineering and geology and, and, uh, and, uh, and, um, and the science of the environment and everything else than any of those legends were. And somehow he would have coalesced them today into a story that, that actually has some scientific validation or some scientific verification that we can see. So there's, it's very interesting. The Gilgamesh epic is found here in the Ur of the Chaldees. It was an educated city. It was a place where there was great wealth and the citizens enjoyed comfort. And here is the place where Abraham lived with his family, with his relatives, with everything that was comfortable and convenient and familiar to him. And God says to Abraham here in Genesis chapter 12, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Now the question is why? Why would God ask Abram to leave what is comfortable, to leave what is convenient, to leave all his family? I mean, doesn't God appreciate family? Doesn't God appreciate the fact that Abram here has a, a support group around him? Doesn't God understand that, that, that you know, his, his father and his cousins and his uncles and all of his different relatives are here and, and this is a place where he can raise his family? I mean, after all, if God is trying to make him a blessing, shouldn't he be a blessing to his family? family first? The truth of the matter is that what God was going to call Abraham to do, nobody could understand. Now I want us to just think about this for a little bit today. What Abraham did, very few people could understand because God was asking him to live a life that was of singular, a singular experience that nobody else 
on earth would comprehend. Isn't that amazing? I mean, at least when we come to church, we find people that, that understand what we're going through, right? A little bit, hopefully. When we go to work, maybe we have friends, we have colleagues, maybe we meet them during the week. We have some people we get together for lunch with. Maybe there's some sort of a camaraderie growing on. There are people that are your peers, perhaps, that you can talk to and understand, and, and they can understand you to a degree, at least. The fact is that God was going to ask Abraham to live a life that nobody would be able to understand. Nobody. In fact, we would read the story, we won't get into that today, but in Genesis chapter 22, God asked Abraham to offer up his only son, Isaac. And when God comes to him, he even says it this way, I want your, your son, you to offer your son, your only son, whom you love, right? I mean, this is the promised child, the one who was born in old age, the one that was a miracle birth. And, and God says to Abraham, I want you to offer him to me as a sacrifice. Is he an idol or is he something you're willing to put on the altar? By the way, Abraham's the father of the end-time faith, wasn't he? Spiritual father. Remember what we read about in John, John chapter 8? Jesus said to the, the Jews, the works of your father you will do, right? If we're Abraham's children, we're going to be living the life that Abraham lived. And, and God says to Abraham, I, I, I want to see, do you love me or do you love your son more? And do you remember who did Abraham quite pointedly not talk to before he left on that journey to Moriah? Do you know that even Sarah... Even Sarah did not understand the relationship that Abram and God had together. There was nobody on the face of the planet with whom Abraham could really identify. And so what God is saying here in Genesis chapter 12, he says, look, if you're going to become the man that I want you to be, the friend of God, as he's called, there's no other person in the Bible that's called the friend of God. Like, this is amazing story. And if you're going to become the man that I want you to be, I'm going to have to separate you from some of those things that would keep you comfortable. I'm going to have to separate you from those influences. You know, it's hardest to be different from those people you're closest to. And, and just like, just like a, a young person removed from, from a bad influence, a bad environment, God is removing Abraham from his own family so that he can make him a blessing to all nations of the earth, to all families of the earth, so that he can become the father, not just of many nations, but the father of all who would believe. Very, very fascinating story here that we see going on. I want to share with you two statements from one of my, my, some, some of my favorite books, my favorite commentator on, on the Old Testament, on the Bible. Um, first, this one's from the, the book Testimonies of the Church, Volume 7. It says, A union with Christ by living faith is enduring. Every other union must perish. Christ first chose us, paying an infinite price for our redemption. And the true believer chooses Christ as first and last and best in everything. Do you agree with that? The question is, do I live it? Uh, but this union costs us something. It is a union of utter dependence to be entered into by a proud being. That's us. And, 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 and we don't like being dependent. We don't like being, we, we like to be independent, right? We like to have our own answers and our own provision and our own supplies. We don't like to be dependent, but it's a union of utter dependence to be entered into by a proud being. That's the first challenge. All who form this union must feel, the, feel their need of the atoning blood of Christ. 
They must have a change of heart. They must submit their own will to the will of God. There will be a struggle with outward and inward obstacles. There must be a painful work of, catch this, there must be a painful work of detachment as well as a work of attachment. Pride, selfishness, vanity, worldliness, sin, and all its forms must be overcome if we would enter into a union with Christ. I think this is very, very important, and this is what Abraham needed to experience if God would make of him the father of all those who believe. He needed to be able to de- detach himself from those things that were, would hold him back. Notice with me what it continues and says, the last, the last paragraph here. The, the reason why many find the Christian life so deplorably hard, why they are so fickle, so very variable is that they try to attach themselves to Christ without first detaching themselves from these cherished idols. Oh. What God is doing with Abraham is a work of detachment so that he can do a work of attachment. And that's what he wants to do with each one of us. Oh, we want the best of both worlds, don't we? It's easy for us to tempt. I'm, I'm talking about in our human, natural ways that we, we're, we're pri- prideful beings. We want to be able to have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. We want to be able to attach ourselves to Christ without detaching ourselves from those things that would hold us back. And God says, no, if you want me, you've got to leave those. Abraham, are you willing to go to a place I'm going to show you? I'll make of you a great nation. Don't you think it took some faith for Abraham to leave? I think it must have. Patriarchs and Prophets, second passage I wanted to share with you this morning. The message of God came to Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. In order that God might qualify him for his great work as the keeper of the sacred oracles, Abraham must be separated from the associations of his early life. The influence of kindred and friends would interfere with the training which the Lord purposed to give his servant. Now that Abraham was, in a special sense, connected with heaven, he must dwell among strangers. His character must be peculiar, differing from all the world. He could not even explain his course of action so as to be understood by his friends. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned, and his motives and actions were not comprehended by his idolatrous kindred. So Abraham, get out of your family, leave your family behind, go to where I'm going to show you, I'm going to make of you a great nation. What a, what a man of faith Abraham was, that he was willing to go out. Turn with me back to Hebrews now, Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to focus on verse 9 as we, as we conclude here. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 9. Keep your finger, if you have it here in Genesis 12, because we're going to be flipping back and forth. But Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, we're going to read verse 9. We're going to notice here what, uh, what uh, Abraham experienced as a stranger and as a pilgrim. It says, "...by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise." For he waited for a city which has foundations, 
whose builder and maker is God. Now, I've not gone through the time to go through the book of Genesis and try to count how many times Abraham moved, but I want to just look with you at a couple passages. When we look at these verses, we recognize that Abraham was, was not settling down in one place. In Genesis chapter 12, and verse 10, it says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And we remember the story which took place there as, as, um, as they, um, he, he got this whole confusion with him and his wife, Sarah, and lied that he was, she was his sister and so forth. Now, there's, he, he stays in Egypt for some time. When the famine is over, he comes back to Canaan, but that wouldn't be the last time. Um, he ends up moving with Lot and, and that whole situation where Lot and he were too close together. They didn't have elbow room, and Lot took this, the, the, down the plain, the good pastures down by the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham up on the on the, pl- on, the, on the mountainside of Mamre. But um, we also find here in Genesis chapter 21, I mean, this is, this is near the end of Abraham's life. This is after Hagar and Ishmael. Notice with me what's still going on. Genesis chapter 21 and verse 34, and this is the record. It says, Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. So Abraham ends up taking a couple trips to Egypt during this time. He ends up taking a trip to the, to the Philistines, and he's there because... He really didn't have a place that he had settled down. He was living in tents. He was portable. He was nomadic. He was not building a town and calling it the city of Abraham. He was not building a fortress or building a home or building all these things. He was living a nomadic lifestyle. And the Bible here is very clear that he was doing it largely because he had to be ready to go where God would lead him next. And he had to be able to keep in his mind that he was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Now I want us to look in conclusion here at Hebrews chapter 11 and verses 13 through 16. This is going to bring us back to the story of Abraham after talking about Isaac and Jacob. Hebrews chapter 11 and beginning with verse 13 and because this is what we need to apply to our lives today. We're talking about Abraham the father of the faithful in the last days and notice with me what it says in verse 13. These all died in faith not having received the promises but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Now this is what, what, what the author of Hebrews is trying to remind us. He's trying to remind us that these men and women of faith that are accounted for here in Hebrews chapter 11, they all died not having received the promises. I mean, Abraham was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God, right? He died there in the, in the, in the land of promise, but not having yet received the promise. The promise was that his children would have this land. They were still strangers in the land. He was just nomadic. He was just moving from place to place. He was, he was creating a, a he, was, he was becoming what God wanted him to be, yes. He was a blessing to many nations. He became the father of all those who believe, the father of the faithful in the last days. But he didn't receive the promise of the land, of the city whose builder and maker is God. He died and the others died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Now, I want us to just go through this verse in a little bit of point by point, because I think it's a progression. I don't think that Paul is just being flowery in his speech. I think he's actually taking us through a progression of spiritual experience which Abraham and these others had. We read here that first, they had not yet experienced the promises. And part of the thing that we have to experience, if we want to if we want to be children, spiritual descendants of Abraham, one of the things that we need to realize is that we shouldn't get too comfortable here. 
If, we, if we're experiencing all we're looking for here, we're not going to be looking for a better place, right? If we're experiencing everything that we want here, we're not going to be looking and longing for a city whose builder and maker is God. And the Bible's very clear that they knew that they had not yet experienced the promises. Oh, we live in a, in a time of blessing. We're, we're blessed. We live in a free country. We live in relative peace in our country. We have so many good things that many people in this world don't have. And many people through many times in history have not have, had. We are very, very blessed. But we ought to be just as clear as Abraham and the other patriarchs were, that we have not yet received the promises. We're looking for something better. We're looking for something greater. We are looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. So first of all, they were very clear that they had not yet experienced the promises. But what does the verse say next? It says they had seen them afar off. So somehow, uh, through the promises of God, they were, they were looking at these promises and they said, we're living here, but God wants us to be there. We're living here, God wants us to be there. It's over there, it's over there. And they saw it as a promise, but, but they kept focusing on it. You know, some Sometimes, sometimes it's really, it really seems like a stretch, doesn't it? Aren't you glad it says they saw them afar off? Because I, I'll be honest with you, sometimes in my humanity, the things of this world seem very real, while the things of the Bible seem very ethereal. They seem very, almost, you know, too good to be true. We talk about the second coming, but do we really believe the second coming, right? Do we live the second coming? Sometimes it seems like it's a far off, it's just over there, but this is not an unusual situation because even Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they had the same experience we have. They saw the promises and they were, they were afar off. It was like something that's almost too good to be true. It's, it's out there. God says it, but it, can it be real? I mean, after all, years went by and the child still wasn't born, right? And it's just afar off. Those promises that, that Abraham was given, they're just, they're just out there. But they said that, that thankfully this isn't where the, the verse ends. Notice with me what the next progression is. They, they had not experienced the promises. They knew that. They had seen them afar off. And notice with me what the Bible says. It says they were persuaded of them. Wow. They were looking at these things that were so far off to the point where they actually said, I believe it's true. I believe it's true. Those promises, those, 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 uh, those conditions that God says he's going to bring about, they are true. They became persuaded of them. They actually came to the point where they, where they said, I believe that what God says is true. I've been persuaded. It's not a far off anymore. Now I believe it. It's true. It's mine. But notice the progression doesn't end there. The Bible goes on and it says they embraced them. Aha. So first, they realize that they're not where God wants them to be yet. Then they saw those promises afar off. Then they became persuaded of them. And then they embraced them. And there's something that happens. When you see the promises that are far off, when you become persuaded that they're real, that it's true, that it's going to happen, it's going to happen to you, that God's promises are yea and amen in Christ. They are yours for the claiming, yours for the taking, that God is not speaking to somebody else, but he's speaking to you. They, they, they saw them afar off, they became persuaded of them, and they embraced them. It came to the point where these patriarchs, they loved, they wouldn't let go of the promises, the truths of God's Word. They're no longer afar off. Listen, you don't embrace something afar off. You embrace something that's right here, right? They, they saw them, they persuaded them as they brought them closer and closer. Now, they, now they've got their arms around them. It, it's like, it's like it's, I will not let go of these promises. They embraced them. 
And when we, have, when we have seen them afar off, when we become persuaded of them, we really believe they apply to us, they're ours, that God meant us, God meant me. When we embrace them, then we can shamelessly and fearlessly do the final progression. Confess that we are strangers and pilgrims on this earth. Listen, friends, as long as you still think there's some doubt about that city, you're going to try to get as comfortable here. You're going to be living as if there's not a city. But if you and I see the promises afar off, if we become persuaded of them, if we embrace them, then we're going to live like we believe it. We're going to remember that I'm just a pilgrim here, just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. You see, friends, it's not good enough just to know the Bible's promises are there. See them afar off. We need to be persuaded of them. We need to embrace them. And if we do, we'll live as if we too are looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Notice with me verse 14. It says, For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, if Abraham had been thinking about Ur of the Chaldees, or if Moses had been thinking about Egypt, they could have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Oh, friends, this isn't just some fairy tale, some pie in the sky. I believe God's Word is true. I believe Abraham is the father of the faithful in the last days. I believe that you and I are called to live a life like Abraham lived, a work of detachment as well as a work of attachment. Oh, I'm not saying everyone has to go out and move to a land they don't know where they're going, but each one of us is called to do a work of detachment as well as a work of attachment. Oh, we want Jesus. We want the blessings He'll bring in our, in our lives. It's like, but, it, but sometimes in order to receive that, we have to let go of what's in our hand, right? We have to detach from those things of this world that would keep us back from the greater things that God wants to give us. Oh, what foolish, how foolish it would be for Abraham to stay in Ur of the Chaldees, as opulent and as comfortable as it may have been, and, and miss out on that heavenly city. Oh, what a, what a contrast between Ur of the Chaldees and the New Jerusalem. And yet sometimes we are tempted to hold on to the things of this earth. We need to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Because the more we look upon Jesus, as the song says, the things of this earth will go strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. If we keep our eyes on those promises that are far off, and friends, we need to be spending time in God's Word. If we want those promises to not be afar off, we become persuaded of them. We have to spend some time thinking about them and reading them and claiming them and, and, and seeing that they, God's Word is true. When you taste and see that the Lord is good, when you see that God's Word is fulfilled in your life in little ways, you then have faith to believe that God's Word will be fulfilled in the big ways, right? It's as we experience God, as we experience His power, as we experience His love, that we become confident that not only are those promises afar off for, for somebody else, but they're ours and we're persuaded of them. And then we can embrace them and live as if those promises are for us. I don't know about you, friends, but as I look through this list, this progression today, 
I just have to ask myself, where am I? Where am I? Am I, am I just enjoying the good life, not even number one? Or do I remember that this world is not my home and God has something better for me? Am I seeing it afar off or am I persuaded? Have I, have I embraced them? Am I confessing that I'm a stranger here? But now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a place for them. Is that, pray, is that place prepared for you? Do you believe it? You want to embrace that today and say, Lord, I don't know where I am in all, all areas of my life on this list, but I want to be right there in the bottom. The last, I, I want to be, I want to just be confessing that this world is not my home, that I have a King Jesus who's coming again. He's got a place prepared for me, a mansion prepared for me, and I'm going to live with him throughout all of eternity. Is that your desire today? You want to join me in making that your prayer? Father in heaven today, we just thank you that you've given us a chance to see these great lives of faith, like Abraham, like Isaac and Jacob. Referred to here in the book of Hebrews, they, they saw the promises afar off. They, they, be, they became persuaded of them. They embraced them. They held them close. And then, Lord, they weren't, they weren't ashamed to confess that this world was not their home. Lord, I, I want that experience myself. I don't want to get too comfortable here. I, don't want, I, I want to remember that your promises are for me. Lord, you see the hearts, you know the prayers, even now, of each person here as they, as they join me in asking you to give us greater faith. Lord, somebody here this morning may be convicted that there's a work of detachment. I want to pray that you would just give them the victory over whatever that thing is. If there's something keeping them back from the true joy and the great blessing of Jesus here on this earth and for all of eternity, I pray that they would see that there's nothing worth holding on to that would keep them from you and from your promises. Oh, Lord, help them to, instead of embracing that which is only going to hurt us and keep us here, help them to embrace your promises, the eternal reality that you have planned for us. Lord, help us to be spiritual descendants of Father Abraham. Help us to do the works that he did to live the kind of life that he lived. Lord, inspire in our hearts, not just to be like the other Christians that we see around us, as wonderful examples as we may have. Help us to, be, help us to desire to be the closest friend with you that we can possibly be, even a closer relationship than anybody else on this earth has. Lord, make that our desire, just to be who you want us to be, to follow you where you want us to go to do what you want us to do. Oh, Father, I just pray that you would make us your children, Abraham's spiritual descendants, and that that promise that you are preparing a place for us might indeed be for everyone here. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.